something I often neglect to say is there are listening devices up here. If you're wanting one, you can just come up and grab one. Hmm. So this evening's talk is uh, is um, been highly influenced by two things. One is that uh, this next week, from the 5th through the 12th, is annual Earth Care Week. And One Earth Sangha is promoting a mindfulness and climate action... uh, um, What what are they calling it? It's a, a gathering of teachers every week on Sunday. So if you go to oneearthsangha.org, you can register for this. I believe it's free. And um, I know James is one of the speakers, I think the third or fourth weekend. And it's Dharma teachers in discussion about climate change and how this relates to the Dharma and relates to us as Sangha. So that's been on my mind The other thing that's been on my mind is that I just came back from being an assistant teacher at Spirit Rock for a week at the women's retreat, which was really quite profound for me in the teaching role, but also just as a practitioner. And I know that some of you here were on that retreat. And there's something about sitting in and fully acknowledging the sacred feminism uh, that was present in that retreat that was, um, uh, has really made an impact on, on me. And so it's still something that is working through me, it feels like, and so I thought I would bring it, bring it into this evening's talk. And so when I say sacred feminine, I wonder what, kind of reaction that gets from people. What happens in your mind and in your body? What thoughts appear when you hear this phrase, sacred feminine or the feminine? Uh, What images arise? Do you associate it with Buddhism or does it seem very separate? Does it seem like something that you can even allow or something that's even familiar to you? Perhaps it's something you're very familiar with and are, and it's a real part of your practice, very integrated, but perhaps not. And so I'd like you just to take a moment to go inside, even close your eyes, and, and just see what's there. What comes up around this phrase, sacred feminine? And then maybe we could just, without passing around the mic, just call out phrases or words or what's coming up, stories that are coming up for you. And we can get a collection of what's here in the room around this topic so far. Beautiful. Beautiful. Mother Earth. Earth. Madonna. 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 Childbirth. Nurturing. 
inward knowing, creation, compassion, strength. Hmm. Interrelationship. Intuition. Light. Is that mm-hmm. water? Water. Not limited to women. Not limited to li- women. That will be part of this talk. <laughs> Harmony. Harmony. Race. Variety. Yes. What a beautiful collection of words. And all describing something that we can't quite pinpoint. We can't quite point to the sacred feminine. It can mean so many different things. And it will mean different things to us as individuals. And so I want to unpack it a little bit, explore it a little bit this evening, and also see where does this have, where, where does this fit in our practice, uh, in our meditation practice. So on this uh, women's retreat, I'll, I will tell you... Uh, Although the practice isn't really that much different, it's not that we're doing a whole lot different. It is all women there and all women teachers, which is different. Um, And there are a few things that seem to naturally evolve within a women's retreat that we don't see in other retreats. One is that we all sit in a circle we all sit in a circle, including the teachers. There's no altar. The altar or the stage is taken down. It says if you've been at Spirit Rock uh, in the main hall, usually the teachers are sitting on a platform in front, and then there's rows very much like this. And so all of this is removed. Uh, and then the, one of the feminine deities is placed in the center of the circle, and this is Prajna Paramita beautiful statue that's then put in the center of the, of the circle and every day is rotated to face in a different direction. So wherever you are in the circle, at some point you are facing the deity. And it's quite moving, just this uh, different arrangement than we normally have. And also uh, feels very much in line with this idea of the feminine, this thing that we can't quite put our finger on but is something that is very much whole and connected and is something that connects us. And it's true, when I say feminine, I'm not leaving out men. This is not uh, female, women. There is something within the female woman lineage that does hold a space, a special space for the feminine, but it's not exclusive to women. Um, This is something that is within all of us and is something that's hungry in most of us. And so Prajnaparamita, this beautiful statue that actually doesn't come from uh, the Theravadan tradition, 
but from the Mahayana tradition, more specifically from uh, the Tibetan tradition. And yet we, we still practice and honor her or honor the feminine that has taken form in this particular statue. For thousands and thousands and thousands of years, there was no face to the sacred feminine, to Prajnaparamita. And then at some point, uh, there was form. And this is something that we like to do as humans, is give the things that we can't quite pin down. We like to give it form. We like to somehow have it uh, something that we can recognize in ourselves. I don't think this is a bad thing. In fact, when you look at Prajnaparamita, there's something about it that ends up mirroring a part of ourselves that's needing to be seen. The strength of the feminine, the openness of the feminine. Prajnaparamita actually is the perfection of wisdom. It's the deity of the perfection of wisdom. And this might surprise you a little bit that in uh, in Tibetan culture, the feminine is considered this perfection of wisdom, where the masculine is the is compassion. And so, noticing what that in itself, that information in itself, does to your idea of masculine and feminine, and which what each one stands for, what it actually is. So, the feminine being the wisdom, masculine being compassion. In our culture here, that kind of throws us off a bit, doesn't it? We often think of uh, masculine or, or men, kind of this role of um, intellect, uh, perhaps wisdom, and women as the caregiver, compassion, right? And so in this very, very ancient tradition and culture, the roles are reversed. But within this culture, there's also uh, an understanding that the two aren't separate from each other. So many of you have heard this metaphor of wisdom and compassion, each being a wing of the same bird, and that without each, uh, there is no balance, there is no ability to fly, to be free. And so we each need both, the feminine wisdom and that masculine compassion in order to bring fullness to our being, in order to fully uh, awaken. It's just something to think about. How does that work in your, in your understanding of these two things? So this perfection of wisdom, another way of putting it is a spaciousness and a spacious wisdom, a wisdom that sees all things, a wisdom that isn't tight or uh, intellect, but actually an embodiment, an embodiment of wisdom. There's a real strength to it. I'll read you a poem by Dana, Dana Falls that I think speaks to this really well. 
It's called allow. There is no controlling, there's no controlling life. Try controlling a lightning bolt, controlling a tornado. Dam a stream, and it will create a new channel. Resist, and the tide will sweep you off your feet. Allow, and grace will carry you to higher ground. The only safety lies in letting it all in. The wild and the weak, fear, fantasies, failures, and successes. When loss rips off the door of the heart, or sadness veils your vision with despair, practice becomes simply breathing the truth. In the choice to let go of your known, uh, your known way of being, the whole world is revealed to your eyes, your new eyes. This is the perfection of wisdom. Seeing the larger picture, this universal knowing of this is how things are. And so the feminine in this, uh, in this way holds space for that. There's another deity, and she's actually in the back of the room. And if you want, you can turn your head, or maybe you've seen her before. Uh, and this is Guan Yin. And she is representing the feminine as well, but in the state of compassion and birth of motherhood, uh, holding it in a slightly different light, but also the feminine, something that, whether we're male or female, is a part of us. I think she also is a reflection of what, when we talk about the Mother Earth, our Mother Earth, this giver of life, this force that we can't be without. This, to me, is also the embodiment of Guan Yin, the thing that's right under our feet, right under our chairs and cushions at this moment, our mother. So all of this is part of the feminine. Unfortunately, and you're not, this is not surprising, unfortunately, though, the feminine uh, is, is somewhat invisible in our current world. Uh, it's, it's not as valued. Uh, and we see that. We see that in the devaluing and the invisibleness of women in certain cultures, including ours. Uh, we see it in, in men and not being able to fully embrace and... Um, be with their own feminine nature and just how destructive that is in our, in our, I think right now, of the young men that I work with in the schools and uh, when they can't be in touch with that feminine nature, how destructive that is and how both men and women are so hungry for it in our culture right now and in the world. So hungry for it. We see it in the things that we value and don't value. Uh, For instance, just what's going on with our earth right now. We often, uh, it's been a pattern in our cultures, 
not to value the earth. This is something that is new in the history of man. To devalue it so much and to be so separate from it as if we didn't rely on it or as if we weren't part of it. As if our future generations didn't depend on it completely. And now we're in trouble. Our earth is in big trouble. It's very sick. And it's our ignorance and our separation that has caused that illness. It is our ability, though, to uh, come back into contact, to awaken, and to cherish what we could call as the more feminine nature that will ultimately heal the earth as long as we're here still on it. This is from an article that Aya Santachita wrote. Uh, She's a Theravadan Buddhist nun. And she's talking about uh, this writer, uh, Vedanta Shiva, whom I'm not familiar with, but some of you may be. She says that she's one of today's leading eco-feminists and uh, is the author of Staying Alive. She says this about her, her book. She, being Vedanta Shiva, she draws a picture of a forest stream and says that in our society, the stream is perceived as unproductive if it is simply there to fulfill the needs of communities for water. But if engineered, if engineers came along and tinkered with that stream, damming it and using it to generate electricity, then the stream is perceived as productive. The same is true of forests. For many a forest, it seems as unproductive. It is unproductive if it is not producing some, something to export for monetary value. Everything is seen in time, in terms of resources and commerce. Our society has totally lost sight of the many important functions of natural ecosystems. Because actually, a forest protects groundwater, generates oxygen, provides fuel fruit and craft materials, allows habitats for animals, and above all, maintains ecological balance, all of which are crucial for our well-being and the well-being of many other species. So there's a lot of truth in this. And maybe it is that I'm preaching to the choir being here in Berkeley and we're all um, practicing mindfulness and, and compassion and uh, sila and all of these things that help us connect back into this uh, feminine nature, this circle of life. Um, but for the majority of our culture, this isn't how it's being understood or it's the awareness just isn't there. And we are um, often looking at the earth in ways that Uh, is very destructive or very disconnected in this way. And so what I'd like to do is talk a little bit and have you explore a little bit of what nourishes your divine, sacred feminine. What is it that helps you connect to that source? What is it that um, allows it to be here fully? And so I'd like you to think about it for just a moment.
one way of looking at this is first noticing what gets in the way. What gets in the way of your embodiment of this wisdom, compassion? What stories do you have that prevent you from fully engaging in this way? And then I'd like you to turn to one or two people next to you and share a little bit about uh, either what gets in the way or what is it that nourishes and brings out your connection to the sacred feminine. So you can go ahead and turn towards someone near you. And we'll take about five minutes just to have you have time to discuss So one more minute. Wrap up your sentence, and then when you're ready, turning back. Okay. And coming back. And I'd like to hear, uh, I'd like us to share a bit. So if we could get someone to run the mic, that would be helpful. And the reason we use the mic and appreciate you waiting for it to speak is uh, because this is being recorded. And there's also people in the room that are needing that to be able to hear. So um, what came up for you and your group? Yes, right over here. Thanks, Andrew. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, we were really reflecting on both creation, creating music and art and dances and dinner and creating the schedule for the day as being things that connected, um, I think, both... Barbara and I to the sacred feminine Mm -hmm. um, as well as we both kind of brought in elements of movement which now that I I actually see Jaime here I remember my bicycle ride this weekend (laughs) Um, so being in motion and in movement that somehow kind of was a pathway um, to that beautiful So we all kind of said the same thing in different ways, but Mm. it kind of came down to um, the feminine was connectedness and Mm. cooperation and working together. And kind of the opposite that was keeping us from that was kind of the separateness, you know, whether it's kind of living in kind of our economic system or our political system or just social pressures or just some evolutionary kind of pulling to take care of yourself. So I think that was kind of as you can stop worrying just about yourself and being able to connect, cooperate, you can start um, connecting to the feminine. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you. (laughs) I 
just like to see Andrew running around. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I raised um, the fact that it's... that I've kind of bought into women as not being worth very much in our culture. And Mm -hmm. as we talked, I think what came out for all of us was in a lot of ways how we're, I won't say schizophrenic, but that we're not really well integrated mm-hmm. in this culture. I mean, the, the who we are is split into different pieces. And the important thing for me um, in the, the retreat, which I was on, was kind of letting the mother nurture my child and, mm. and, and bring me back together to yeah. be whole. Because in yeah. our culture, women, I think we do live a very split yeah life and we all kind of talked about that yeah fractured and i think it's true for men as well yeah so that coming back to that healing and that mother caring energy beautiful thank you so um my daughter is almost two and at some point when she was about one and a half she started she saw a statue and she said, Buddha. <laughs> and, it was, and she says that when she sees a Buddha or other statues, she always says, Buddha. <laughs> <laughs> and I, obviously, I had no idea how she learned that word. It's one of those parenting things of how does she know this? You know? But it, obviously, it sort of delights me. But So when you mentioned the Prajnaparamita and I sort of had a little seed of like maybe that is a great gift for her second birthday, just mm-hmm. to give her a rendition of you know a feminine, of the feminine, the feminine, and just mm-hmm. bless her with that she may embody those yes. qualities. So that beautiful. was that was really a good gift. Thank you. Yeah, that's beautiful. Uh, I'll say that. Um, I think women women in Buddhism have been wanting to be nurtured by that gift in general. I think that, you know, we don't have a whole lot of, uh, of the, the feminine, especially in the Theravadan lineage, where I'm, I feel part of that lineage. It's not present. In fact, even looking for material for this talk, this talk is very threadbare. I'm very aware of it because I couldn't find anything within the lineage that I feel most connected to. I had to actually go outside of the lineage to find material. So that's interesting to me. And so to have these images that are reminders of our own personal embodiment uh, and that possibility, not only the possibility, but having the permission to embody it fully without apologi- apologizing, I think is something that all of us women are, are, are needing. And I, I can't speak for the men in this, in, on this line, but um, perhaps it's true for men too, just needing that permission to embody the feminine as well. Um, but I do know for women that um, it's a great gift whenever we get the chance to, to have that, that permission. Um, so it's a beautiful gift to give your your two-year-old. Yeah, thank you. Anything else? Yeah. 
It's an interesting thing uh, how even within the traditions of Buddhism, we are really, it's coming from the masculine lineage, or at least a male lineage. I think there's, there's feminine, the feminine woven within the teachings, but you have to look for it. Uh, and I think even to name it as feminine in certain cultures is uh, not such an, it's, it's kind of a rocky thing to do. It's not actually um, something that is that accepted. And so I wanted to bring it in tonight. I felt really compelled, even though I couldn't find much to um, relate it back to the practice and back to um, Buddhism and, and where uh, these practices are coming from. It was really, really difficult and could have been kind of heartbreaking even. Um, but it made it, instead, I felt m- more compelled to bring it in. And I think it's a conversation that we need to have more of, bringing in this feminine and allowing something that is already here in the room. If you, I mean, let's face it, the majority of the people that are filling the monasteries to worship and the retreat centers and the weekly gatherings are generally women. Uh, so when we go to retreats, the majority of people who are there are female or identify as female. And, um, and we now have a lot more women teachers, but even that is, uh, has been historically scarce until maybe very recently. Although even still, I think uh, really seeing the embodied fe- feminine is not something that is easy to find. And so I bring this all in as just food for thought. What is it that helps us balance not only our, in our community uh, and balance our world, bring in healing, nurturing, wisdom, but also within ourself and within our own practice? What are the parts of ourselves that we deny or don't fully embrace because we feel it's not true Buddhism or it's not true practice? What are the parts of ourselves that we forget to feed because we haven't actually been shown to feed them? So, for instance, on this women's retreat, uh, it was the sit-walk schedule, but it also included movement, it included art and expression in a very different way. And I've never seen a full group of people on retreat drop in so quickly Ever. It was really quite profound. And so starting to question just what is it that we call practice and the, uh, we call the right way to practice? What are the parts that we, um, where are the places that we fragment and say, well, this isn't Buddhism or my practice, but I really love dance <laughs> and it's something else and I'll just be mindful of it, but it's not really practice. Or um, I love to just sit down and have tea and connect with the people in my life. But I don't see it. It's not, you know, like coming to practice and sitting on your cushion. Uh, So where are the places that we fragment our lives and not fully embrace and include, are not holding with that full, open wisdom of seeing the truth 
that universal truth of all things. When are we forgetting our connection with this earth, with this planet, with each other? Where do we shut down in those places as well, seeing ourselves as separate? I wouldn't say this is the masculine being embodied either. This is ignorance that's being embodied. Where are these places where uh, we can bring in more of this light that was named or more of this interconnection that was named? So... That's really all I have to say about it. Um, I'm wondering if there's any other voices that want to come out in the room about this topic. And if not, we can sit for a bit and then end. Yes. Thank you. I think it's very interesting what you describe as what happened in this last retreat that you participated and how people dropped in and eventually, I mean, very quickly mm-hmm. integrated themselves. I mean, you have voices within spirit's drug structure. I mean, why do you convey that message about trying to make retreats a little bit more universal, more, 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 more uh, inclusive of mm-hmm. other activities besides just sitting and walking and that's the question. <laughs> well, but you have the access to the... Do I, why do I not tell them to do that? Well, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, I will. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we were talking about... Um, seeing the feminine as connecting um, community, um, I guess, acceptance. Um, the masculine as representing, um, I guess, activity, judgment, um, and, I guess, separation. Um, a distinction that, that uh, we agreed was helpful was uh, ideology, on the one hand, and humanness or humanity on the other hand. Mm. And one of the things that um, has been an obstacle to the feminine is the favoring of the ideology over humanity. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. John Kabat-Zinn was uh, addressing uh, all of the Korean Zen leaders um, a couple of years ago. Um, and among other things he said, um, he claimed that he was not a Buddhist, but he said, but then the Buddha wasn't a Buddhist either. And um, Buddhist, I don't know what, what the heck that means. The Buddha means one who's awake. Mm-hmm. And we're called to be awake, not to be followers of someone who is awake. Mm. And um, there's, there's a number of places, I think, in which the Buddha himself was actually fairly tied to the local, um, the local uh, thought, the local culture. 
And one of those was in saying something along the lines, I'll probably get this wrong, I guess, but that women could not be fully enlightened or something like that. Women could, women could not be a, a woman could not be a Buddha, and, which I think is silly. <laughs> but if we are walking as awakened beings, and you know, the Buddha clearly was an outgrowth, although completely counterdid um, the, the local Hindu culture, but if we can take what really is a value in our culture, which includes some of the brilliant um, insights and shifts that feminism is providing in culture right now, and learn from you know, Sylvia and from um, Sharon and Tara, and I think Jack is a great feminist himself as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and and take what we can get not only out of feminism but out of modern uh, neuro but neuropsychology, uh, neurology, psych, neuroscience, um, and and not just be followers of someone who taught brilliantly 2,500 years ago, but take what he did and become awake ourselves and move forward with everything that we can that, that benefits us from being part of 2014. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, the Buddhist wasn't, the Buddha wasn't Buddhist. <laughs> it's very true. Jesus wasn't Christian. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, one of the beautiful things about this practice in the lineage is the uh, invitation to constantly see for yourself. See if this is true. What Does this actually resonate? That blind faith isn't valued. That this is something that we can actually practice and see our own awakening, our own uh, mind becoming more clear and our heart opening. This is the evidence. And we're lucky that we have people who have gone before and actually were able to fully awaken. And uh, it also points to our own capacity. And yeah, it is true that in the suttas, there are suttas that have threads of uh, um, uh, anti-women uh, type ideology and um, where that comes from, I don't know. It doesn't seem in line with the teachings of the Buddha. Um, but it is there. And so it's certainly something to question and not follow blindly when that hits you as something that is wrong here. I know it hit me as wrong as well. Yeah. Thanks, Jim. Anything else? Okay. Great. So I hope this was hopefully the beginning of a conversation or beginning of just curiosity about this topic. Perhaps um, a topic that later on you'll continue to discuss um, and explore with each other. Because it's an important one. It's a really important one. And even if you can't find it directly in the suttas or if it's difficult to find information about feminism and Buddhism, um, turn to your own experience. Turn to your own felt sense and embodiment of this part of 
ourselves that doesn't need to be denied. So with that, uh, we'll just sit for a moment and allow the words to either be let go of or allow them to sink in. We'll dedicate the merit of this evening and before I go through the more formal dedication, if there's someone in your life right now that you would like to dedicate this practice to the collective intention of just being here spending our time in this way. There's something very valuable and powerful about that. And so we can take a moment, if you'd like to say out loud, a name or a person uh, that you'd like to have this dedicated to. We'll just take a moment to allow for that. And so may this practice be for those who are named and also for those unnamed who are in our hearts this evening. May this practice be for the benefit of all beings, all beings everywhere. May all beings be safe from inner and outer harm. May all beings find happiness and contentment within themselves. May all beings be healthy in their minds and in their bodies. May all beings have ease on their journey to more clarity, wisdom, and compassion. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.